everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on the lip of the big holidays coming up. We, we've been out a lot. I've been out. Well, I've been out a lot, I too. know. I let you come with me. Sometimes. That's so nice. Um, we ate at Omateo last night, which we is... Did. Kyle's, uh, Kyle Bailey's new restaurant. How about if you let me hit it and talk about it, it. since I know the deal better than you. So, Kyle Bailey, who you know is a chef from Salt Line, but his team at Longshot Hospitality has opened up a new restaurant out in Tyson's. Don't roll your eyes because there are people who live out there in the Capital One building. And it, uh, actually across the street from the Capital One building. And um, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous space. They really dropped some money. It has a really like funky Tulum vibe. It feels really good and the food is really fabulous. So we're very excited for the Longshot Hospitality guys. We also stopped by Ashok Bajaj's um, Bombay Club, and it's really been a minute since we've been there. The entire- But it's been more than a minute since they opened. Yes, it's 35 years. It's their 35th anniversary, which is a real- Amazing thing in this industry to be open that long. The vibe in there is so posh and so luxurious. It feels so rich and good. And obviously, nobody does Indian cuisine quite like Ashok and his team. So it was delicious. We also went to the Shakespeare Theater because they are doing a fabulous mashup of The Bard and The Beatles in As You Like It. It's going to be around to January 8th. If you have an opportunity to buy tickets, Andy, you should totally get tickets. It's so good. We were like having our toes and singing. It was just so much fun. Um, I finally understood Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you want to talk about Corso? Well, Corso is um, uh, out in uh, Sherlington. Okay, Cajal Armstrong is back. You may have missed him for a little bit. The chef who used to run Restaurant Eve, uh, James Beard nominated, uh, Michelin starred. I mean, he's an amazing guy. And he's kind of been like, Sulking around. But we just haven't seen him lately. With yes, with the cheese teak people, which yep. is exciting. So he's doing Italian. I know he's Irish, but he's doing Italian. And um, it's really exciting to see him back behind. But I mean, he uh, speaks Italian, so it's okay. That's true. Seeing right. him back behind the kitchen. All right, let's get into today's show. All right. So, especially around the holiday time, DC is full of all kinds of great events. But if you're a chocolate fan or freak, as am I, mm. one of the events you definitely want to know about comes yeah. up on Tuesday, the 12th at the Square in DC. World-famous chocolatier chef Ursula the 17th is going to be with us today. She's whipped up pastries for some of the best. Michael White at Michelin Star at Ifiori, Thomas Keller at Per Se, Claudia Fleming at North Fork Table and Inn. There's a lot of name-dropping in her bio, but is she's what hosting, I want to say. She's hosting a traditional, because she is of Catalonian descent. Mm-hmm. She's hosting a traditional Catalan uh, Christmas food event, okay. and she's going to be with us to tell all about that and why she is the 17th. Yes. All right, so we do a lot of entertaining. Nick is a great cook. I get stuck doing the dishes, and I hate doing the dishes. Um, And I'd love to have an extra pair of hands. Okay, well, so here's the thing. We entertain a lot, but sometimes, you know, David really gets sick of cleaning. I am not a clean— I mean, if I'm in the kitchen at 1130 at night, it ain't good. I'm not a clean cook. That's— that's just a fact, right? I make a mess when I cook. Um, but we love to entertain and have people over. But 
you know, what I love is that there is this amazing company now called Party Host Helpers, and they have bartenders and servers and dishwashers and all these great people who can really lend a hand when you're hosting your party. It really changes the vibe of your party when you can be a part of your party and there's somebody there to help you. And I get out of the kitchen. Yes. Well, we're going to be talking to Renee Patrone Reinhardt in just a little bit. She's going to be talking about how she's going to make my next party fabulous. Okay. Now, Lisa Lucas and Debriana Mancini are probably two names that you know. They're two lively women, and you're probably fans of their show on YouTube and Facebook Live, Corona Kitchen. Uh And they have a new cookbook that came out a couple of months ago called The Time We Ate Our Feelings, which shares stories of their experiences growing up in foodie families. And all their travels and everything. It's such a joy to read. And to some degree, the heartache and neuroses that come with doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hit it. Uh, Brian. Now. Another name dropper. Yeah, another name dropper. Brian Aruda came up with a great idea. He's a chef. He's a very accomplished chef. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, he began a, a little business trying to find basically work for chefs that were out of work mm-hmm. uh, because everything had shut down. That has evolved into um, a huge business. It's a global business now. Uh, it's called Executive Chefs at Home, and it's a global private placement agency for top chefs and psalms and all the folks related to providing a great meal. You're going to find out all about it when Chef Brian joins us shortly mm-hmm. on the show. And, and then lastly, 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 the man with the booze, Jake Ireland is founder and CEO of Off Hours Bourbon. It's an authentically crafted bourbon, uh, you know, made for the modern. This is their their language, modern bourbon drinker. I want drinker. to know what that means. Apparently, what I'm one a, of them. What's a modern bourbon Because drinker? Jake sent a couple of bo- sample bottles, and I didn't realize they were for today. Uh, today, so my friends and I drank them. Yeah. Yes, so now great. we don't have the product in So the let's get into the show. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. Ursula. Chef Ursula the 17th. Now, you own and, and founded Deset Chocolate in New York, right? Yes, that is correct. And you've got a store in So Long tell Island. us a little bit about Deset Chocolate and the kinds of things you're doing and your Catalonian heritage. Yeah, so Deset Chocolate was like the culmination of my entire career come together, bringing my background of all that name dropping and all that stuff into <laughs> um, my love for chocolate. In these high-end restaurants, you get the petty fours at the end. And that's kind of where I ended up finding myself in a lot of these kitchens. Um, and so when I was finally ready for those long hours and, you know, change of pace in life, I decided to start my own business and I wanted to bring all that together. So at Deset, we specialize, especially out here on the North Fork, where we're based out of, even though we ship all across the U.S., we have a lot of farms and it's the new wine country of the U.S. They call it the new Napa out here. We'll see about that. But um, Don't tell Napa that. We get to farm to bonbon. We get to put, curate what would be a plate of dessert into one little bite of a bonbon. So if you want a pecan pie or a pumpkin, anything, we actually put all the layers that you would find inside of the pie. And it's like a whole dish. It's not always sweet. We do use like cauliflower and weird things. So we're kind of known for going out of the box and really uh, creating some unique chocolates that um, not only highlight the local produce and everything that is around us, but just like remind you of that Michelin experience of just like those delectable umami bites. Well, how much that. of that finds its origins in Catalonian cuisine? Um, I would say that that's where I say the culmination comes together. So as Catalans, um, the region of Catalonia is rich and rich in produce, olive oils, wines, nuts. A lot of beautiful things come out of the terroir that is Catalonia. And um, it's really big part of our culture to sit, to eat, and to enjoy each other's company. You know, the culture of Catalonia is more than, the food of Catalonia is more than just food. It's a culture. It's a mm-hmm. whole 
thing around it. So for us to bring that part, it's like a staple and a pillar at the set to really remember that. And then we, we get a little bit uh, big where we also do things that might not be tradition in America and be tradition over in Catalonia, like turons. So we had yeah, to let's set, talk about turons. those. Yeah. Because I feel like, especially during, nougats, the, right? Right? during the holidays, we yeah. see them, right? Yeah, so it's really big. Um, it's 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 a, there's a whole beautiful history around, it. and the reason why it's the holidays is because it's right after nut harvest. It's right after honey harvest, which are two of the main ingredients that make nougat what it is. Mm-hmm. We in the U.S. probably eat more nougat more than you think. In um, a Snickers is a nougat. Um, a, Char- a Charleston Chew is a nougat. It is. So on the shelves, we see these more processed types nougats. Okay. But then around the holidays, we see our artisan nougats. We right. See you know, if you've ever been to a little Italy in any city around the United States, you get those big, hard nougats like, with right. pistachios in it. They're so and good. I'm curious how like that thing, right? They're so hard. Right. So yeah, it's 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 very typical to a lot of places in Europe. It's hard to pinpoint where it started, but I'd say that in uh, Catalonia we spearheaded it, and some of the most popular traditional nougats um, do come from that region. So when you come to this area, like you're going to be at the square, and you're going to be doing a demo about the nougats. Are you also talking about other Catalonian products? Or are you sticking mostly to the pastries? So because of the time of year, the demo itself that will be happening during the event, we will be making nougats. I explained a little bit about the history. I hope in passing and them out. Such a special... I said I hope in passing them out, too. Oh, of course. Lots of samples, lots of things to eat. And along with the nougats that we make, there's going to be other Catalan products there because part of the demo is not just seeing what we're making and making it kind of user-friendly so you can make it at home for your families, but we'll also introduce like hazelnuts, anchovies, pamtumaca, the cavas, you know, the sure. wines that come from those regions. So the event is going to have a lot of Catalan food and we do interject those into the demo in terms of here you can replace with, you know, this item because that's what we would normally do in sure. Spain. Um, you know, and so it, it really is immersing all Catalan ingredients. We just happen to focus on Turo this time of year because maybe this is something that we can bring into your homes. You know, if you see how easy it is, you watch me do it, you might, uh, you know, you get sent home with our little recipe cards too. And you can maybe try and make some at home for your family this year. That's great. Ursula, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, For those who don't know, the square is uh, Ruben and Richie's new place downtown. Why can't I think of Ruben's last name at the moment? Richie Brandenburg and Ruben. They've opened the square. Casa Teresa just opened. The place is delicious, but the square is a a Spanish food hall, and it's amazing. All right, and Ursula, we're going to tap you for information because our daughter is leaving for Barcelona to study in about four weeks. Yeah, so. so you'll be hearing from us. Oh, yes. I will give you a long list of places she has to go. She's got to see and definitely what she's got to eat. Right. I'm there Thank for you. it. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, we're going to take a quick break me. now. And do you want us to take a break now? All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you get some help with your parties. You know, Nick, back in the day when I worked for Hex, the Hex Warehouse is over on uh, New York Avenue. And we hated being sent over there to do stuff because there was nowhere to eat for lunch. It was a wasteland. Well, not anymore. So the Ivy City area has exploded. And, you know, the very first restaurant over there was the Tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Now, this is a great neighborhood restaurant, but it's also a destination restaurant. First of all, they smoke all their seafood, and that is incredible. But it also is a huge kitchen that does amazing dishes, fresh seafood, great burgers, the whole deal. But the space is what you really need to check out. An amazing outdoor patio where you want to sit and have cocktails. They do live music there all the time and other live shows. 
and there is a great event space. So if you're looking for a place to hold a wedding, or have a party, you definitely want to check out the tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. Well, it's uh, about 20 years too late, but now I have a good reason to go over to Ivy City and the tavern at Ivy City Smokehouse. All right, we're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're going to talk, we're actually going to solve one of my biggest problems. And that is that after we've entertained a bunch of people, I end up in the kitchen with the dogs at 11.30 doing the dishes and cleaning the pots and pans. And um, and I do not feel bad for him because I do everything else. It's a pain in the butt. I do all I the shopping, it. all the cooking, all the setting up, all the like pouring glasses. I handle all the other things. But I am the entertainer. The solution is here. Batman is here. Renee <laughs> Patron Reinhardt founded Party Host Helpers. Yeah. And basically she provides, and these are professional servers and dishwashers and bartenders and all of that. She provides the bodies that will come into your house and do all the stuff you don't want to do. All right. Well, let's find out about it. You can focus on your guests. Hi, Renee. Hi, Renee. Right. You know, I've never been called Batman in all these. You are Batman. You're Batman. Batgirl. You have to learn how to say I'm Batman. Okay. So So, let's talk about the concept because- I think a lot of people are like, yeah, this, it sounds like it's a hard thing to bring somebody into your house to help you. So talk about like how you put it together and how you make it so easy. Absolutely. So we have a great team, especially in the DC area, but nationwide, this company party, our company party host helpers is 10 years old. So this is what we've been doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have great bartenders, servers, general helpers, coat check attendants, people that will just come in and do your dishes at the end of the night. And with our great technology base, you know, it's easy to just put your information in our website, get a quick free quote. And then our team, um, you know, we have regional directors in different territories and their job is to match you with the right person. So so that's that's the part I'm most curious about. I mean, given staffing shortages these days, um, I'm just sort of curious how you go about finding the right people, what's the process you go through? I mean, especially like, like, for example, you know, I'm having this luncheon for 20, yeah. you know, industry professionals that I'm cooking for uh, on Wednesday, and we're going to have a bartender. So how do you go about, and we're having somebody also like help me set up and clean up and everything, which is amazing. So how do you go about finding the right people, making sure they have that hospitality chip so that they are really helpful, do you know what I mean, in, in making the party a success? Yeah, so we we hire people that have the experience. We see their resumes, we get their photo, we have references on file, mm-hmm. and that's really important to us, to hire people that already have the hospitality experience. Mm-hmm. And most of us in hospi- hospitality, we get it. And we hire people who get it. They jump in, they get to work, they know what needs to be done. And, you know, a thing like an intimate lunch or even Thanksgiving dinner where we had a ton of people out or a holiday party, you know, we like to ask the client sometimes in advance, Hey, where do you put your trash? Where, you know, just so we're not bothering you for it. Um, you know, can everything go in the dishwasher or do you need us to hand wash the China? So these are things that our helpers know to ask. Um, and it will ensure a smooth experience for the client, for the host. I think that's important because really, Sometimes if somebody's never brought somebody else into the house before to help them, they don't really know what their needs yeah. are. So, you know, doing that kind of Q&A beforehand, like where does the trash go, wash or, you know, where do I put things? How do you like things set up? Like people don't know really how to communicate 
their style all the time. So being asked exactly. questions help with that. Yeah. And I mean, we do service a lot of caterers and corporate clients, which is a totally different experience. Oh, sure. I have um, no doubt. And did so. you find it difficult with like the pandemic and the staffing shortages that restaurants are experiencing now? Are you finding that an issue with you? Or are you like, these are all the people who are like, no, we want to freelance. It's better. Well, I was wondering, is it people that left the industry yeah. that, that now are doing other things, but still want to keep a hand in it? That's the beauty about hospitality. Once you're in it and once you realize that it's your passion, you always want to go back to it. It's always your side gig. It's always jumping back in. I mean, I have teachers who love to work for us on the weekends. I have retired people who want to get out and serve others. Mm -hmm. I have college students. We have people that this is just their job. They work for us. They work for caterers. You know, they make it work. The gig economy is strong, especially post-COVID. Mm -hmm. And we worked really hard in, you know, the end of 2020 and 21 to really focus on building our team back up that now we're experiencing the great benefits of the time. It well, I, I laughed when you happy. when you said that because uh, I started off washing dishes in the dining commons in college, and I'm still washing dishes yeah. at our house. And the last thing I want to do exactly. is get back to it. Forget <laughs> it. Forget about it. It's, if it's what you know, it's what you know, right? I know, I know I don't want to do it. All right, Renee, I'm so glad you were able to pop in this morning. And when we're on air next week, we're going to tell everybody about our experience. Tell, um, can you just tell everybody where to find you guys, how they can put in their info sure. and, you know, get a quote. Great. Our website is partyhosthelpers.com. Mm -hmm. You can just get a free quote through our website. You can find us on Instagram at partyhosthelpers. And we have a 1-800 number, 844-30-PARTY. Excellent. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Thank you, Batman. <laughs> so excited for you. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> Renee. Thanks so much. Uh, okay. We're we taking a break. No, we, we do not need a break. Keep going. We're All right. Keep well, going. power through. Stepping up to the plate are Lisa Lucas and Debriana Mancini. They're co hosts mm -hmm. of Corona Kitchen, which you've seen, I hope, on YouTube and Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. And they wrote a really cute cookbook called That Time We Ate Our I Feelings. I think they want to hear that it's called No, cute. I think they think it's cute. It is not cute. No woman wants to be called cute. No, the cookbook is They're cute. They're frustrated I feminists. I, I didn't say, they are frustrated feminists. They say so. And I join them in that frustration. I'd like you to know, Debriana, that I too am a frustrated feminist. Yeah, he's but anyways, all right. Talk a little bit, uh, uh, you and Lisa, about how you guys got, got together. kicked this off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we've oh been God. friends for a long time uh, before the pandemic hit and we're kind of, you know, crazy working people and barely had time to enjoy each other, you know, to get a cup of coffee. And when the pandemic hit um, right at the beginning of it, uh, my always my go to is to cook when I'm frustrated, when I need to relax, when mm. I need to, you know, create something. So I just called her and said, hey, do you want to do you want to cook live on on Facebook and see who joins us. And thankfully she said yes. <laughs> but so how did you guys, so in the beginning, I mean, I think a lot of people were doing that. I mean, the pandemic was such a jolt for so many people mm -hmm. as a way to, re, you know, finding new ways to connect, finding new ways to communicate using, you know, all these different online platforms as a way to sort of ease our nerves, you know, during that mm -hmm. time. So how did you two like decide on recipes? How did you start cooking and start sharing your stories? Because the book is filled with really like interesting essays about your travels and where you've been. And it, it really explains a lot. Thank you. 
Go ahead, Lisa, if you start. Uh, that's, a really, that's a really great question. You know, the answer to it is we don't know. <laughs> we may, we may, that's what, honest. We knew how to cook, what we knew how to cook. And for me, unlike Debriana, I was, you know, workaholic working in television. I didn't know how to relax. So the silver lining of COVID, I think, for a lot of people was, oh my God, we have to take a pause. Mm. And I forgot how much I love food. You know, I come from a foodie family. We both come from major, you know, I'm Croatian, Debriana is Italian. And, you know, I've forgotten, I'd lost that connection. And this whole experiment that we started reclaimed that for me. And that's really a beauty of it. And not only for me, but everybody else that joined our community. So it was like this kind of amazing reconnection to it's a massive roots. awakening <laughs> yes yes i don't know how to explain it but i love to cook now and it does calm me now uh coincidentally because <laughs> like i'm like my one of my best friends cooks now but like when we were young i did all the cooking you know like when we used to be together and you know she could like she could burn couscous like she just she did not find <laughs> joy in the process it was not her thing but I do think now that she's older, like she has found real joy in cooking. You know, not everybody enjoys yeah. it. And I think finding the joy, I love it. I, it's a real, I, I. It's totally, what you say is so true. And I think that unless you have the mind space to really wrap your head around where it's coming from. And, and that's what we did. You know, we did these shows mm-hmm. one at one point, 150 sh- shows in a row. Wow. Something mm. like that. Right. Everyone. And, yeah. Uh, yeah and, we cooked every night nonstop for 143 <laughs> and, uh, nights. That's in a row. amazing. People were like people were like <laughs> tuning in, like, you know how you do it thanksgiving where it's like hey i want to sit around and have a glass of wine and watch you cook and then people started like joining in and trying and talking about the experience and people who were scared and like you're saying your friend you know never cooked and then all of a sudden they're making something and they felt this sense of joy and accomplishment and we just all you know banded together in that so well and i think also because of your both of your styles and your um, sort of comfort on air and the way you sort of communicate with people, it sort of takes that some people are afraid to cook. They're they're fearful. Yeah. They're fearful that they won't like it or that they'll burn it, whatever it is. And I'm, I, to me, what I love in your sort of laissez-faire way about it is Dive there's, in. there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just food. Like if you screw up. Well, we are professional chefs. So we right. were coming at it like most people in real life come mm-hmm. to it. You know, you go to your kitchen, you're like, what am I going to make for dinner? And that's what we did every night. We investigated what we had because in the early part of the pandemic, we, if you remember, we couldn't get flour. We couldn't get sugar. We so couldn't weird. get nuts. We couldn't, we couldn't find it was stuff. So, weird. so, so I want to know who, just, who, so who ate all that food. Did everybody in your family have a food baby? Everyone in our, in my house is mad at me. Yeah, I know. I please stop. He's upset, but you know, they loved it. All right. <laughs> like, I, this isn't, this is a question out of left field, but how did Dinah Shore, Wind up in, End your up book. in your cookbook. No, it's not out of left field. I, I had the, I, well, we really want to know. Um, when I was growing up, um, there was a cookbook called Someone's Cooking, Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah. And mm. this will date me, but, you know, my mom was really into the talk shows. And so, you know, we watched Dinah Shore, Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin, all that stuff. And I just loved Dinah Shore as a kid. And my mom bought the cookbook and she made, she had this Aunt Selma's pancake in there. That was like a Dutch baby, mm-hmm. and it was the special thing we had on Sundays and whatever. And we had it my whole life, and it's and it's in there. And it's, this book, whole book is dedicated to my mom for me, 
Um, because she just, you know, as you said, we wrote these stories, you know, and, um, you know, everybody has a different food experience. And I think for my mom, she was always searching, you know, she was at home. She didn't have a lot of options. She was a housewife. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she wanted more. And at that time she couldn't have it. And so Mm. like when the gourmet magazine came in the mail, that was like opened up a whole world for her and for us. And we dove in with her to make things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I Um, can really relate to that because, um, I, I mean, that's how I got into cooking. I mean, I, my mom was an amazing cook and they threw very lavish dinner parties and my girlfriend and I, uh, you know, we started doing dinner parties when I was like 13. Like we just, we were opening up Gourmet <laughs> Magazine and like cook, like we made a crochambeau. I don't know what we were thinking. Do you know what I mean? We <laughs> love to do that. And like now, I mean, now, I mean, I love to entertain and cook. I mean, now I'm in the journalism side on the media of food, but like there's a real like passion about it. And I, I think that really yeah. comes through oh, in yeah. your book and your travels and in the recipes you, you've chosen for the book. Oh, thank you, you so much. I just, you know, I wanted- enjoyed it. We become besties over it, like long lost sisters. It's just, it's oh my amazing. God. I love it. All <laughs> right. So tell everybody, please, where we can find uh, the book, where we can find your, on you. like, give me all the, give me all the ads. Where can we find you guys? <laughs> well, you can buy the book um, uh, on bookshop.org. You can get it at Target. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it on Amazon. All There's the bookstores. Any number of places to buy the book. Great. Um, our show is, uh, well, we're now we're called Golden Goose Kitchen, formerly known as Corona Kitchen on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, YouTube. And we have an Instagram account at the Corona Kitchen. And we're kind of all over the place. We still we're do up- show once a week. <laughs> Great. We're no. even on, t- we're even on the TikTok. But, um, you know, the thing is, if you just want to find out anything about us, go to goldengoosekitchen.com. Great. It's a landing page for all of our stuff. Excellent. All Thank right. you, guys. I'm going to send you my YouTube channel. It's 24 hours of programming of me washing dishes. Okay. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, David and thank Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We got so much more. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and our next guest is a guy that did something altruistic, and it ended up becoming a global business, basically is the way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Brian Aruba is a CIA graduate. He's a chef who traveled the country working for folks like Charlie Palmer and Jose and Thomas Keller and Daniel Balud. And uh, when the pandemic hit, the world went to, to hell in a bucket. Uh, no, the we restaurant were just business, that. the restaurant business did too, mm-hmm. and uh, Brian started a business trying to help fellow chefs get work, and it blossomed into like something you're, else. You're letting, I'm like, just you laying let the groundwork. Laying the groundwork. Okay. Now, Brian, take us through the whole thing because it's an amazing story. Can you tell us a little bit of your background, uh, though, because you've worked for, you know, you've got a real name droppy resume. <laughs> so, um, can we just talk a little bit about how you got in the biz to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm from a small town in Connecticut called Stonington. It's right outside of Mystic. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, sort of labeled a Portuguese fishing town, if you will. Um, so I sort of grew up around the food industry and, um, you know, went off to school at the CIA. And Which is a gorgeous, graduated... gorgeous school. I love that campus. It's so yeah. beautiful. Oh, man, especially this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I graduated school and then I decided to move to Boston, which... Um, you know, I spent a little bit of time there and then relocated out to Vail, Colorado, and ultimately ended up in Las Vegas. Life has been hard, hasn't it, Brian? 
Yeah. <laughs> good gigs. Um, so I was I was fortunate to work for um, for Thomas Keller for a few years, and you know at the same time simultaneously working for Jose Andreas, mm-hmm. uh, and then sort of made a transition transition to working for Charlie Palmer, and um, you know I I then relocated to South Florida. Uh, where I started working for Daniel Balud uh, at Cafe Balud in the Brazilian court in mm. uh, Palm Beach Island. Mm, that's amazing. Um, and from there, you know, Danielle had asked me to relocate to Boston to take over Bar Balud at the Mandarin Oriental, mm. uh, which I did. And then uh, 18 months later, asked me to relocate to New York City, which is where I am now, uh, to oversee his Mediterranean concept, the Balud Sud on the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's sort of okay. So you were doing my journey. You were cooking. Pandemic happened, yep. and I mean, listen, it was really tough for restaurants, oh. and a lot of them, especially the fine dining restaurants, because a lot of that food doesn't belong in a box, right? So yeah, how'd you it was pivot? A, it was a scary time. Yeah, what'd well, you do? I mean, you know, I remember being at work. You know, here comes Danielle. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a restaurant-wide meeting and. You know, he basically informs everyone that we're going to close the restaurant and, you know, it'll only be a few weeks. So feel free to leave mm-hmm. the thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, we quickly all found out that it wasn't going to be a much longer than a few weeks. So, right. you know, I packed up my bags, a little starstruck on, you know, the whole situation as everyone was. And I figured I would leave the city, go back to Connecticut and spend some time with my family, uh, my brothers and whatnot. Now, my brothers work in tech sales and my, you know, Connecticut hadn't been shut down yet. So I find myself at the house like, oh, you know, I need to do something. And I get a call from um, someone in the Dynex group. And they said, you know, a friend of ours uh, is a regular at your restaurant and they're looking for somebody to cook private for them. They want to help, you know, give a hand for the chefs that are unemployed. Mm. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this seems like a great idea. I'd never really cooked private. Um but I said, you know, let's go give it a shot. So I drive out to Greenwich, Connecticut, and, you know, I, I meet the principal, and uh, they offer me a job. So part of the job was, with all the unknown at the time, part of the job was they'd prefer me to stay on property. So, you know, I had my own accommodation, and I said, no, you know, no problem. Just need to run home, grab a few things, and, you know, we got to work. And I find myself spending more time alone than I have in a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I'd wake up, do some lunch stuff, do some dinner stuff, go back to the house. But when did your and... idea come? Like, at what point were you like, I am i can't be the only one right. who, like, has this gig. Like, there's got to be lots of other people who have, you know, a surplus of income who want somebody to cook yeah, their meals so for them. They they would they hosted um some guests over one night and then you know upon leaving they said to me oh you know do you have any friends that would like to cook for us mm-hmm. and i'm thinking in my head like well yeah every chef i know right now is unemployed mm. right so, exactly no problem <clears throat> so boom we call a chef and you know next week we have a chef there and <clears throat> that started to happen so it happened three or four times i called my dad and i said hey what do you think about this idea and he said i honestly think it's a great idea mm-hmm. You know, so we got we got the lawyer involved and, you know, we launched the the business, you know, and then we went two months with nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> like, it seemed like a good idea on paper. But were you I, yeah, I've got a then, question about how you were letting the world know you had the business. Were you using social media to spread the good word? Yeah, I was mostly I was mostly using social media. And in the beginning, you know, it's very unorganized. I don't come from a business background. Um, so it's a little bit of a challenge to me trying mm-hmm. to do 
everything myself. Uh, but as we started to gain traction, you know, a lot of the, you know, the higher sort of A-list clientele, they do tons of hosting, you know, and one good party can turn into a whole bunch of guests that had a great experience. You know, now everyone, um, luckily the people I worked for were so generous in the sense that they would say, oh, you've got to meet Brian. You've got to hear about this, you know, company that he's starting, um, you know, and now here we are almost in our fourth year with uh, almost 450 chefs across the country. So wait, so one of my questions is, is so this is like sort of a twofold business, right? So like if I am having a dinner party and I want a name chef to come cook in my house. I can call you for that, but also if I'm like, yeah, I want to probably, I want a named chef to cook for me all the time, right? Is that is that yes. like I'm going yep. on a yacht somewhere? I'm pretending I live a different life. I'm going on yeah, a yacht so, somewhere, and I want somebody amazing to cook for me and my guests all week. Ex- honestly, yes, exactly what you said. That's that's the kind of thing that happens. So you know, we started off tr- only doing full time because um, it was just a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you know, we'll do everything from you know a Sunday lunch to a full-time, you know, job where these chefs are traveling, you know, to several different countries, working on boats, working on planes, mm. you know, clients have six, you know, plus houses, one nice. in the mountains, one in the it's beach, one in the Hamptons. It's a good gig if you can get so it. So how, well, wait, how okay. did you figure out the fee structure? Because you got to make money doing this. Otherwise you're just a nice guy. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, the fee structure, you know, we've sort of based off um, market at the time, which, you know, there were, when I started doing it, there weren't a whole lot of people. Obviously, there were recruiters and hospitality recruiters from mostly restaurant industry. Um, not There wasn't really people that were focusing primarily on a niche market in the private world. Mm-hmm. So we sort of played around with the commission fees, <clears throat> and it was very important to us that we didn't take anything from the chef. Some of the, you know, recruiting agencies will pull money from the chef's salary. No, you take it from the um, other side. Pull, take it from the people from who have sides. Take the people from take it from the people who have the money. Yeah. People with the boat. <laughs> we decided that we wanted to be a very for the chefs uh, mm-hmm. company. And, you know, so we decided we would charge in addition to what the chef would earn, whether that be one night <clears throat> or whether that be you know an entire year up to one year. Um, and then you know it it wasn't long before we kind of felt like we controlled the market a little bit. Mm. You know, there and were more people working for How do you find your chefs? Like who are like who are some of the people that you're you you can offer now uh you know to cook in people's homes or to travel with people um and how do you like how do you how do you keep your rosters and um find the right people to do this? Cuz this is not listen there's lots of great cooks out there, lots of great chefs out there, but this is not a gig for everybody. Not everybody belongs in somebody else's house. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very important. I mean, in the beginning, it was tough. So, as you know, I would reach out to chefs and, you know, who knows if you take me serious when I send you a message like, hey, I got this great idea. I can find you a job. A lot of times you just spam that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of my close friends bought into it and, you know, and then you start to find that their friends are interested. So they reach out. And in the beginning, we were spending a lot of time trying to find the right chefs. And now, you know, we spent, we don't really spend any time trying to find chefs. Most of the chefs will find us through referral from someone they know, or, you know, I think we have, we have a pretty big, um, you know, online presence as far as like Google ads and our website and our Instagram's a little, um, it's getting there, but you know, um, on on the off chance that the high rollers listening, what's the fee structure? Uh, the fee structure is for a, a short-term job, which we consider anything less than three months. We charged uh, twenty percent. 
Okay. And, and so, then for a go ahead. So this would be twenty percent of you know, if the chef goes and does a dinner party and earns a thousand bucks, we would make two hundred bucks. Gotcha. So now, who sets the price? Do the chefs set their prices? In other words, if I'm gonna like if I'm having yes. a dinner party for twenty, let's say, um, and I, the chef is coming to the house, they're gonna do all the grocery shopping, they're gonna get all the things, we'll we'll get together yes. on the menu and then they'll come and cook and plate and do all the things, right? Absolutely. So yes, yeah, so you would reach out to us. I would then um, provide you, you know, a handful of candidates. Um, I might send you send. I might send you five candidates, and you know, you can review and decide. Oh, you know, he or she looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's let's set him up for an interview. So you would choose the chef would you know show up, do the shopping, cooking, cleaning, the entire thing, um, and then like you had just said, David they will they have their prices so some of the better chefs have higher demand their sure. prices are you know noticeably higher because more people are trying to have sure. them whereas some chefs don't necessarily have that big of a following yet um although very talented they may charge a little bit less mm-hmm. so are you so we try to stay out of that part are you cooking we anymore or are you just earn. running a business i mean um so i for the most part i'm running the business um i i typically well, so I, you know, getting into all this, I had some clients that were very loyal to me and I was loyal to them. So I still do, uh, you know, certain parties and certain times of the year where I know, you know, they mean need some help, whether the summer months, I will um, definitely get involved and do some dinners. Right now I'm doing a little work in the Upper East Side of Manhattan and, uh, you know, some here and there kind of stuff, but mostly focusing on the business and, you know, trying to expand and, Well, one last question before we wrap up with you. So, you know, thinking back to our conversation earlier with the party helpers. So if we're if let's say a chef is going to, you know, come with us and um, and do a dinner party, but maybe stay the next like for a weekend, let's say a weekend getaway. Would the chef sort of say, hey, you're having 20 people. I'm going to need to, you know, I'm going to need two helpers or I'm going to need like is all that laid out? Are they able to help, you know, the person who's hiring them, because again, some people don't know what they don't know. So do they give, you know, that kind of assistance and advice? Yeah. And we'll sort of give them a little bit of guidance. We'll say, you know, maybe you're having 20 people over on Friday for Shabbat dinner. Mm -hmm. And we recommend that, you know, any more than 10 people, we suggest hiring, you know, a Sue or some sort of assistance. Um, We also can provide servers, you know, bartenders, any, you know, anything along those lines um, cool. that may be needed for, for the, the event. All right. We dinner. have to take a break. Um, Brian, tell everybody where they can find you, where we can get a chef, do all the things. Uh, so uh, I would say our website is executivechefsathome.com. Okay. And then we also have an Instagram, uh, which is at executivechefsathome, uh, as well as my personal, which is at Chef Brian Aruda. Um, I do use my personal for you know, just sort of a lot of chef networking and things like that. So okay. I really appreciate you guys having me on your show. Are you kidding? You should teach a business course at CIA. Thanks for joining us. This is <laughs> David and so Nikki much. Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. When we get back, we're talking booze, booze. and bourbon. We'll be back. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and our guest now is the famous Jake Ireland, founder and CEO of Off Hours Bourbon which has warmed my tummy already, and it's Right, good. we were supposed to have the bourbon in studio, if you didn't hear David's introduction at the beginning of the show. Uh, it was on our bar. He took it to our neighbor's gathering and uh, drank it. Well, it was all. more than that. So it was we don't a have a cold any. Halloween night. And Whatever. I wasn't we were, there. We were huddled around the fire. 
Anyway. And it hey, warmed Jake. up pretty quickly. Hey, so, Jake. not everybody, like, little five-year-old Jake Ireland, like, sits in their bedroom and thinks, one day, I'm going to make bourbon. <laughs> so, how'd you get the gig? How'd you get into it? Yeah, it's uh, a long, tiny career path. But, um, you know, I grew up in, in southeast Indiana, so just kind of west of Cincinnati, Ohio, and north of, uh, of Louisville. So, there is a big distillery that's in the town, uh, you know, that used to be owned by Seagram's for, you know, years, decades. And um, it's went through some different ownership changes until today. But uh, they, you know, they've been producing bourbon and gin and vodka and you name it for, for years. And I had a lot of family uh, and friends that have worked there for, you know, over the past few years. And, and um, <clears throat> growing up, you know, the relatives, the, the holiday parties were always a good time because everybody that worked there always had bottles of, you know, whatever it was that they were pulling off the line. But uh, you know, I kind of was aware of it, but never really thought a whole lot about it. <clears throat> and ended up, my career path started in, in sports medicine. So I went uh, originally for physical therapy. So I, I got my doctorate to do that and uh, was like, was licensed to practice here in California. And ended up uh, taking a big career pivot and getting out of healthcare altogether and uh, had an opportunity to get into more kind of early stage investing, uh, you know, venture investing for a family office. And there was a bourbon brand that some guys I knew from the Midwest were launching and uh, decided to put a little bit of money in and, and just sort of help out behind the scenes and, um, you know, was able to help grow the brand over a few years and sold it and, um, you know, for me, I kind of took a step back and, and realized that like there was a lot of mistakes we made and a lot of lessons learned. I could do it all over again. Mm -hmm. Here's what I would do differently. And, um, you know, so I started working on the idea of creating uh, what is now Off Hours. And this is like 2017, 2018. And um, yeah, I started to, to kind of really see if this thing could have legs. And uh, yeah, ended up wanted to launch in early 2020 and the world shut down. And, uh, Good timing. So I, feel up, like, uh, I feel like that's been our yeah, thread the whole day. I, I, I do have to tell you, I don't know if you know this, but I think this is in your blood because that part of Ohio is famous in prohibition history. That's where all the stills were and all the rum runners that, you know, sent their booze into Al Capone in Chicago. <laughs> That's a, you know, it was meant to be Jake. You're exactly so, right. Yeah. So what makes off hours different? I can tell you what's different for me because I'm not a big bourbon drinker. I'm not a big, big spirits drinker, but I loved it. There was no huge burn. I didn't put any ice in it. I didn't put any water in it. We were drinking it straight, and it was very, I mean, it was incredibly smooth. So how does that happen? Yeah, how did you go about creating your product? Like, you learned from your first endeavor. What did you add to Off Hours to give you the product that you wanted? To be honest, like, there's, a, there's a handful of distilleries out there that, that the heavy, heavy majority of all the bourbon that's on the shelves is coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, for me personally, walk down the, the whiskey aisle and you sort of see this just enormous amount, you know, hundreds of brands. And for the most part, they're all kind of, this, you know, a little bit different taste profile. They kind of all have similar package design. You know, they're definitely very masculine for the most part. And for me, it was like, I want to create something that's not going to intimidate women or intimidate sort of non-traditional bourbon drinkers. So I wanted to create a package that was eye-catching, that was a little bit different than what a lot of the other stuff was on the shelf. And I think from a taste profile, you know, a lot of people have this sort of 
preconceived notion about um, about bourbon that you you know it's got to be drank neat. It's going to have this harsh burn on it, and you know there, there's only certain settings you can drink it in, and you know this is the type of person that drinks it. And you don't really have that with tequila or vodka or gin or you know or beer or wine. And um, you know that was another thing for me that was like, how do we create something that uh, is a little bit more approachable and um, you know can kind of be more of like a introduction to bourbon that um, you know that most people aren't going to be willing to try. So the taste profile I worked with a girl. Uh, her name is Ashley Barnes, uh, who had spent time at Four Roses and Buffalo Trace, and sort of learned the ropes there. And she had branched out her own thing. So I started working with her on you know this taste profile, creating something that was um, you know not going to have that harsh burn. That you know was going to be a little bit more. Uh, appealing to you know the non-traditional audience, and um, yeah, we landed on this 95 proof blend. Where, yeah, to your point, uh, David, it doesn't have this harsh burn on the end of it that a lot of people are like expecting. So it's kind of pleasant, and um, you know, now we've started to launch other products too that are a little bit higher proof that you are going to get a little bit more of that. But it's uh, it's definitely something we feel is uh, you know the, a nice sort of. Um, you know, way to introduce the brand and, uh, you know, hopefully buy other products as well. Well, 95 proof is not exactly sodi pop. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, <laughs> if you're going higher up, great. So but what's it, your process? What are you, what are the products that you're working with? Like, how are you getting the desired product with, um, you know, given that there's so much out there, right? So, you know, sure. what are the notes that you want? What are the things that you want to people to smell, people to taste when they're drinking the product? Yeah, yeah. So the the distillery work is the same one as in that's in my hometown that I grew up in. Uh, so still have a lot of um, you know family and friends that are there. And really, when it comes to what products we have and the taste profile and the, you know the, the smell and everything like that, um, you know, a lot of people it kind of goes back to like baking spices. You get a lot of cinnamon, you get a lot of nutmeg, vanilla, toasted, you know, caramel, pecans. You know, perfect for this time of year. To be honest, um, you know, so. We started with that one, and then which is the the white label product that you guys um, yeah, you know try. We also okay. have the black label one, which is a single barrel. So we do those one barrel at a time. Um, so instead of the the white labeled one dumping 10, 12 barrels together, mixing them up, blending them, and then bottling it, you were doing one barrel, and it's kept at cast strength. So those mm-hmm. vary from about a hundred and eight proof all the way up to about 124 125 or so wow so those are pretty warm um, you can drive a truck and that's on kind that. of like our, but what's the wait time <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much. what's uh, the sitting time for bourbon like how long do you want it in those barrels like are you worried about a char on the barrels like what you know because i think that all of that really affects the taste based on how long it's in there what the mm. char level is all those things so how do you guys what, where do you stand on all that? You know your stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, dude, yeah, you should check the, me out. I know my great. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, our ours kind of varies. So mm-hmm. the, the one you tried traditionally is in there for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, the single barrel product is closer to seven years. Okay. And then uh, we're planning to launch a rye whiskey in um, Q1. That'll be about five and a half to six years old as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we've got some other products that we'll probably launch uh, likely towards um, late summer, early fall uh, of next year. But um, yeah, the char levels, you know, they, they're 
two on the heads and four on the saves, which is kind of traditional for mm-hmm. most bourbons. Um, our mash bill itself is 75% corn, 21% rye, and 4% barley. So, okay. you know, again, it's kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of brands that have something very similar, mm-hmm. um, but it all there is a little bit of an art to the blending and art to um, the proofing it down and everything there, so that you are going to get a little bit different taste profile depending on the brand. But um, yeah, we felt like you know we've got something special. We've gotten you know several awards and everything. Uh, well, and you us, also so. have a lot of partnerships, right? Like we only have a minute left, but like you have partnerships with Nobu and David's favorite Buck, Buck Mason. Mason. David loves Buck Mason. <laughs> It's a great story. Yeah, you know, that was something when we originally launched the brand, I think for both merchandise, you know, as far as selling that and in the, the partnerships with other restaurants and hospitality groups, I felt like on the merchandise side, there's a lot of brands that you just get, you get a t-shirt and a hat and something that, you know, probably not made of very good materials and mm. it's pretty cheap and you're just kind of wholesaling it where I was like, I would rather partner with a brand or brands that people are aware of that it's high quality products and maybe you have to pay a little bit more, but at the end of the day, oh, you're probably it. more apt to wear it because it's not going to shrink. Um, and then, you know, the restaurants, those were ones that we, you know, we ended up partnering with right when we launched and we felt like if they were able to get in with some of the well-known hospitality groups or restaurants, we could at least, you know, prove it out and leverage their name. So that way, the next time you went somewhere else, you could kind of name and they know oh, what these guys are carrying it and, you know, I, a pretty good chance that we should carry it as well. Well, listen, Jake, we really appreciate you hanging out for the whole show and sharing your story and sharing the off hours with us. Tell everybody where they can find you <laughs> online me. and on Instagram, please. Yeah, yeah. so all of our handles are at drinkoffhours.com or at drinkoffhours for, for social media as well. Great. Um, and yeah, if you're you're in, I think we're in nine states now, so most of the Midwest, we just started selling in New York, Texas, uh, Vegas, and uh, pretty much all of California now. So um, if within those states, you can find a retailer. If not, and if you look online, um, we can order it there and we can ship to, I think, about 40, 42 states or so. Great. So we can get that to you that way, too. Great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jake. All right. Do your thing and then let me do mine. All right. So my thing is I'm very ticked off at Congress because they're diddling around and they're holding up they're holding up help for Ukraine. They're holding up help for Israel. Let's let's stop, folks. That war in Ukraine in particular is 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 driving me crazy because if Russia succeeds, um, you're gonna you you will have a domino effect because they'll be emboldened and they'll go after Moldova. It's and not all a politics show. No, it's a care. food show. So do what you can to support them on the on the uh, mm. on the refugee side. Those of us who are not in the government. Uh, I don't care if it's a buck uh, or ten bucks to Red Cross um, or, or, Jose or Jose in World Central Kitchen. And that's it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, okay, you're done. And uh, <laughs> I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. We did the show a little different today. Everybody was online. It was a column, but we had some amazing people who are doing amazing things. Follow me at n y c c i n e l l i s on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, all the platforms, Threads. You know where to go. Uh, you'll find out everything you heard here today, and of course, so much more because there is so much happening in the food space, and I'm covering it all for you. So thanks again for joining us today. Be safe out there, and have a delicious week. 